right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalms. Uh, we'll do seven and eighteen to, or seventeen and eighteen if you want to turn there in your Bibles. I'm going to run through some announcements here. Instead of me writing them down, they're going to do some slides for me to keep myself track. Women's luncheon, April 2nd, 10.30 to 3, and the sign-up sheet's out there if you're interested in coming to that. Youth night, March 27th, 5 uh, to 8 p.m. We are doing the uh, um, mousetrap cars if you want to make those. I think they talked about those. If you don't know about those, Rod can help you, um, or Mace Coasting can help uh, describe what that is. Um, garage sale, May 27th to the 28th. Uh, please bring your things Thursday if you can. Otherwise, see me, and we can make other arrangements if that's not possible for you. But keep that in prayer that uh, we make a lot of money for Africa ministry there. And I think that's it. Is that right? That's it. All right. And hey, lady, thank you for the graphics. It certainly helps. It makes it a lot better. I appreciate it. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... Um, the opportunity to spend time together in it. And we pray that as we read David's psalms and songs to you, his prayers, his heart, um, as they reflect our own heart, oftentimes we pray that you'd help us to, um, to receive the, the goodness that comes from this, the response that you have to David and, um, and the other writers when we get to them, but also to know that you're the same God as we sang today that answers the prayers of David. You'll answer the, our prayers as well. It's not different. It's not just history. It's, uh, it's character. It's who you are. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of good songs today that have a lot to do with today's psalms. Sometimes it works that way. Sometimes it doesn't. But I think as the worship team prays about what songs they'll sing, um, I believe the Holy Spirit leads them. And it's interesting how so many of them uh, line up with today's passages. So I think you'll see them as we go through here. Let's get at it. Psalm 17, verse 1. Uh, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my youth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. That's our first break today. David is uh, uh, asking God for help. He's asking for God to step in and to, um, well, stop those that are against him. Stop those that are his enemies. And he describes what he describes in Psalm 119. When we get there, when we get to that psalm, it's the longest psalm. It's the longest book in the Bible. Um, but it's all about God's word. And David writes this. I mean, it's just it, the whole thing's rich. Um, but he describes how important it is to hide God's word in your heart. And that it's kept him from going astray. And that's what he's basically saying here in a really short amount of time. I've purposed in my youth to not become estranged from you. I want to walk with you. I want to be as close to you as possible. Um, we sang a song about um, pouring out our, our praise to you and, and giving our praise to you. And I'm not exactly sure which, which song it was. I don't know the names of them. I just know the words. Um, but it reminded me of the alabaster flask that the woman broke and poured on Jesus. Um, she had been so touched by Christ, so touched and changed, and the burden and the guilt and the shame had been lifted off of her shoulders that 
her appreciation, her gratefulness that came from her heart. Was, all she could do was look into her life and say, what can I offer back? What can I give back to you? Not that there was payment due, uh, not that she owed him anything. She just, she realized what he had given to her and he wanted to give back. She wanted to give back as much as she could. And so without thought, it was worth so much money. We don't understand that because we don't, maybe we're learning that more and more as we get older, that, that a bank account isn't the greatest place for your money. Um, like this year, you're going to lose 7% just in, in cost of living alone. It's a, it's a losing game to keep it there. Um, but as an investment, they would invest in perfumes and oils and things like that, where we would invest maybe in gold or silver or stocks and uh, maybe municipal bonds or something like that. Or even lately for the newer crowd, NFTs and, uh, and um, Bitcoin and things like that. But you realize you need to put in something that's going to grow. Well, this was hers. An alabaster flask, which was sealed, not just screwed on top like a, a you know, a du toilet, you know, kind of thing. It's a, it's, I did pretty good. You should be impressed. I don't know, I don't know French, but that was good. But it wouldn't screw on. I mean, you, if you were to open that, you whacked off the top. I mean, it was sealed and now it's open. And that's what she did without any thought. This is her life or her, her retirement. This is her, uh, maybe even at one point in her life, maybe it was her dowry of, you know, a part of it anyway, of some kind. And without any thought, and I don't, I don't mean to say it that way, with reckless disregard for her own well-being later on in life, maybe that's a better way to put it, because I bet there was some thought put into it. But with reckless disregard for her own well-being later on in life, snapped off the top and poured it on Jesus and said, this is, this is everything I have. This is the best I can give you kind of thing. David has done that in his heart as he's been watching sheep, as he's been taking care like a shepherd of all these little sheep out in the wilderness and has come into contact with many enemies. He's purposed in his youth that from the very beginning, I'm going to give you my heart and my life. And he lives his whole life that way. He has moments of sin and we'll get into those eventually, but that isn't what he's known for. That isn't what he's defined by. It shouldn't be anyway. He's defined by a man after God's own heart. That's how God defines David. He's a man after, after my own heart. Um, he doesn't define him by Bathsheba or any of those other events, um, but he defines him by that. And David cries out to God. He says, I want you to hear my cry. I want you to attend to me. I want you to listen to what I'm going to say because these are not from deceitful lips. It's not coming from deceitful lips. Now, I don't know how many of us pray with deceit in our hearts. I don't think any of us intend to because that'd be, that'd be dumb, you know, I'm going to trick God. Oh, did I say that out loud? You know, kind of, oh, he heard me. Now I ruined it. Nobody can trick God, and I think we all know that. But we can pray in such a way, well, James describes it in chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. Yet you do not have, because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive, because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your on your pleasures. Hmm. Uh, sometimes my prayers, uh, you know, I'll give you an example that's self-deprivating, uh, that word. Uh, <laughs> um, suppose I'm, as a pastor, I'm, I'm praying for revival in Maryville. Oh, God, I pray there'd be a revival. I pray that God would bring many people to know Jesus Christ, and I pray that he'd bring them here. See what I mean? I do want everybody in the world to know Jesus Christ, but in my prayers, if I'm not careful and I'm not guarding my own heart, I can pray in such a way that wouldn't it be nice if we had three services? Because I'm thinking tithe times three, you know? You'd never say that out loud, but maybe you'd pray it that way. And, and that's, that's something against me, maybe. I, I don't think I've ever done that, but I'm always careful. Uh, you know, I always go over it again. And by the way, 
You know, don't save anybody if you don't want to. No, I don't say that, but um, we can pray that way in such a way in our own lives. Oh God, I pray that you'd help me um, with this, that, or the other thing when really there's some ulterior motives there. We have to guard ourselves. David is saying, when I pray, it's not from deceit. I, I don't want vindication just because I'm concerned about my own skin. I, I just think it's important that the, the, that the wicked don't win is what he's saying. He sees that. When he feels like as a good man who's following God, if he's being defeated, it almost feels to him, because that's, that's how David sees himself, we should never think otherwise, that God's losing, and it just doesn't look right. Moses even says the same thing. Surely, God, you, you, don't, want to, you, don't, want, you don't want them to go back to Egypt, or you don't want them to do this, that, or the other thing, because then your name will be defamed. Moses wasn't saying, oh, man, he doesn't pray that with deceit. Like, oh, I hope we get there because I'm going to look really stupid if we don't make it to the promised land. He doesn't think that way. David's or Moses' concern is, I don't want your name, Lord, to be defiled. I don't want your name to be slandered all over the earth. It's about your name that these people make it, that these people are your people, that you don't just cast them out, that you, you carry them through. Those are, um, those are honest prayers, and that's what David's saying. I pray that you'd look upon the things that are upright. Pay attention to the things that are going right in my life and the things that I'm obedient to. I know you've tested me. You've visited me. You've tried me. You found nothing. And I purposed in my youth. In Psalm 119, verses 105 through 115, it's kind of a long cross-reference, and, but the psalm is much longer, as you can tell. I mean, that's about the middle. Um, it says this. David writes, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. I bet we don't think of our mouths as freewill offerings, but we should. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. And it goes on to describe more and more about how David trusts in the precepts of the Lord, the word of the Lord, and how it's keeping him in the ways of the Lord. God's word keeps us in his ways. I think it's very important to read the Bible every single day, every day. Stay in it. You find yourself getting away from it, get right back to it. I know that happens, but get back to it as fast as you can. The longer you're away from God's word, I believe the more that well, Satan or your flesh gains ground in your life. I think as you starve the spirit, that you strengthen the flesh. And you know, the flesh doesn't take much to get strengthened. It feels like it's on a constant lifeline. It's constantly being fed in my life. It's the spirit that I have to fight for. The flesh, it's always eating, it seems like. It's always, there is a meal, a smorgasbord for my flesh all the time laid before us, all the time, whether that's in our TV shows that we watch or movies or any kind of media that we have coming into our eyes or ears. It could be, you know, we make fun of TV and we take, make fun of movies, but your books can be just as bad. It doesn't make any difference. 
romance novels, things like that, can just as much pollute your mind as a TV show. We're no better. That's no better. And so staying in God's word feeds that flesh, and it keeps us from sin. But sin will keep us from God's word. David says, I want you to uphold my steps and my paths that my footsteps may not slip. That's my heart. I don't want to slip. I don't want to fall. Verse 6, I have called upon you for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me from the deadly enemies who surround me. David's not trying to be a manly man. A lot of times he is, you know, let my aim be true. I put, you know, in the very next Psalm that we're reading in Psalm 18 talks about him bending a bow of bronze and so on. And God's able to give him strength and to be able to beat his enemies physically, you know, but not in this case. This is a different kind of battle that he's warring against. This isn't somebody necessarily trying to take him out physically. They're trying to take him out spiritually. There's constant counselors around David always trying to tell him what the world wants him to do and what the rest of the world is doing and what's common and what's usual. And David's trying to live an uncommon and an unusual life with God. It's very different. It's very, it's very lonely at times as you can hear David crying out to the only one that probably understands is God. And so he says, I want you to be my all in all. I want to be the center of your eye, the apple of your eye, the, the, the pupil. I want you to be looking at me. I need you to see me, God. I want to hide under your wings. That's where I want to be. That's where a chick hides, you know? Innocent baby little yellow chicks, and well, different colored chicks, but all chicks, all these little babies hide underneath the wings of their mom, you know? And David says, I just want to be there. Dark, cozy, and warm, you know, kind of thing. That doesn't sound like him, but that is him. That is him. That's who he is. He's just like that. David doesn't always want to be hiding in caves. He doesn't always want to be throwing rocks at people. You know, sometimes he just wants to get under the covers, you know, and that's what he's saying. Just cover me, God. Cover me. Protect me. And a lot of times you don't know where the enemy's going to attack. And I think that's part of it. I, when you're under the covering of the wings of your mother, your bird mother, you know, uh, you can sleep soundly. You can sleep peacefully. You don't have to worry about your back, you know. Someone else has got it, and that's all David's asking for. I just like to sleep, you know, and not be constantly worried. I want you to give me rest, Lord. I want you to watch out for the enemies because I'm tired of watching out for my enemies. He's a warrior. He's willing to do it, but everybody gets tired of that. And this is where he cries out to God for that help. Verse 10, they have closed up their fat hearts with their mouths. They speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey. And like a young lion lurking in secret places. This is another time where David likens his enemies to animals, predators. He feels like prey. David is the last guy I would think of being prey. You know, he, when he walks down the road, he's the one everybody's afraid of, you know, not the other way around, but that's not how he feels in his heart. In his heart, he feels like, I just feel like I'm surrounded. I feel like the rated pounce. I can see it. They haven't done it yet, but I get that sense. I can, they're looking at me funny now. Their eyes are a little more narrow, you know, 
I can walk into the barn barn story. I should give you a a lead into that, but sometimes I'll walk into the barn and my cats just have these funny looks on their faces. And I'm like, what? You know, we've got barn cats. One of our barn cats we we rescued, you know, just showed up on our this is rabbit trail after rabbit trail. We'll get back eventually. One of our barn cats we discovered has, has been declawed in the front. It was a rescue cat. And so I'm like, no wonder the poor thing was starving to death. It got out from the house and can't catch any food. And now it's just, we thought it was pregnant. Not pregnant. Just happy. Happy and fed. Sometimes you'll walk out into the barn and you see these cats and they've got these big black eyes. And they're just looking at you. And they're twitching. Their tails are twitching. I'm like, what? Is there like a predator in here or something? No, they've just been running around after each other, you know. And I caught them or something. And now I'm, I'm the guy. And they're looking at me. They're going to get me. David feels like that. He's looking around at his normal guys, people in his court, people that are advisors maybe, and they're looking at him different. What's with the pupils? What's with the wide eyes? What's with the, you guys been chasing each other around? Am I the prey now? And he gets that sense. And although he could probably take care of him himself, he says, God, I just, I need you to do it. Their hearts are fat and they speak proudly. It's, it's, it's bothersome to him. Some people don't know what they reveal in their mouth, with their mouth, but they do. We all do. I do too. We all reveal things when we speak. And the more we speak, the more we reveal about ourselves and our own hearts. The fat heart is just this, and he's going to get into it. It just seems like these people that are uh, doing the wrong thing, living a wicked life, just seem to be doing well, you know? They're full, they're satisfied, he's going to say here in a minute. They're satisfied. And it bothers him that they're satisfied. It bothers David, because he's not. He's uprooted in his heart. He's he's concerned. Verse 13, arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life, uh, and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They're satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. David says, the only time I'm going to be satisfied is when I'm in your presence. That's what he means by a man after God's own heart. David, I mean, he's a king. I don't know if he was a king at this time, but this prayer would have been prayed any time. He's a king. He's got a lot of money. He's got way too many wives. And so on, his own, its own fault, you know. But talk about this. It, he, David's like, this, none of this satisfies me. None of this brings me hope or peace. It's not a goal. It just kind of came with the job. My satisfaction is going to come when I die. And I'm in your presence, God, because that's all I want. I try to be as close to you and in your presence here in this world. And that's why Paul says we see in a mirror dimly. But at least we see something, you know. But then when we die, face to face, face to face, you know, can't wait for that. Some people look for their satisfaction in this world. And then what, you know, so you get it all. So you get the car and you get the house and you get the family and you get the, and there's nothing wrong with families. He's not saying that you shouldn't have children or that people who are children are fat hearted. You know, that's not what he's getting at. But that was their goal, you know. I've got 12 children, and I've got a nation building behind me, and I've got, I'm the CEO, and, and, and I've, you know, and they're fat with that. They're satisfied with that. It looks like, anyway, the appearances. And David's like, I don't understand that. 
They got it from wickedness. They got it from being disobedient to you. They're, they're wicked people. I want, you to, I want you to touch them, God, is what he's saying. And not in a good way. I want you to take them out. I want you to let them know. Because I won't be satisfied till I'm, till I'm in your presence. Psalm 78, or 73, excuse me. No, it is 78. It is 78, I think. Can't read my own writing. It's a long one too, but at the, it's the very last verse that we're really focused on. So if you want to tune out, you can tune back in here at verse uh, 17. But David writes, he says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Am I right? 73 or 78? 73. All right. I wrote it down. Wrong. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked that bothered him, it caused him to slip and stumble. It's like, why, why are they doing so well? For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance and have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue uh, walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. I'd be a liar. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. It always helps to look up. Always helps to look up. We forget about that. I forget about that weekly almost, I would say. I'm a pastor. I study the Bible. I teach the Bible two times, if not more, depending on the season of my life. I teach the Word of God. I'm in it. I study it. I know it. I mean, we live it. And if there are times when I look around and I'm like, I don't know, you know. And then I go back to studying for Wednesday night. I'm like, oh, yeah, Jesus. What's wrong with me? Oh, yeah, heaven. Oh, yeah, don't be entangled with the things of this world. Don't be ensnared by these things. Don't be so caught up in all these things. Don't look around at what everybody else has. Don't, you'd think I, how many years have I been doing this? Figure it out, man. To get that settled in my heart. So at least I, I, I'll say this about myself. That, that at least I, I can recognize it. I think that's important. I can see it. I can catch myself. I'm going to get worried. Well, I won't know, I guess, if I don't catch myself. I get caught up in the things of this world, you know. Ran into a couple. Oh, probably, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it's always too late by the time. I'm ready, fire, aim. Um, <laughs> ran into a couple. It says, yeah, we're getting ready for retirement you know, in their 50s and 60s. I'm like, I know. I know. 
you know? If you don't know what I'm getting at, it's like, no, by now, I should be ready for retirement, you know? And, and I, you lived your life in such a way that maybe it just didn't work out that way, you know? It's not always that way for everybody. Um, and, and there's different reasons for that. Sometimes it's just poor choices, but other times it's just the way you've lived your life and the way the dice went sometimes. It is. It's just honestly the way God wants it to be. I'm not... I'm not faulted, faulting him for it at all. It's just sometimes things happen and, and sicknesses, illnesses, medical bills, things like that. Huge things take place. It can happen. It just happens. But I, I know that. And so it's at those moments I could see in their eyes, it's like they look around and they say, we are not as ready as 90% of the people our age are. And this is troubling to them. You know, and, and I, I understand that. I mean, you want to be wise and responsible, but you can almost hear this prayer being quietly prayed every night in their bedroom, you know, oh God, you know, help. Now, I don't want to be easily entangled or ensnared by the things of this world or be concerned, you know, I want to be like the sparrow and I want to be like, you know, the lilies of the valley that I'm supposed to be. But you know what? I don't have any leaves, you know, (laughs) I'm feeling kind of naked right now exposed and there's some concern and it can catch you off guard. But when you look up and you begin to pray the worrisome or concerning prayers, hopefully by the end of your prayer, God has reassured you that no, 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 your time has been well spent. It has been worth it to not go after those things. It has been worth it. You've, you've gained so much more than a hefty bank account. And you begin to be reminded by God of, the savings account, the alabaster flasks all around you that aren't necessarily tangible, that you can't cash in on. But they come in the form of your believing children or they come in the form of a beautiful marriage, time well spent. They say no one ever dies at the end of their life saying, I wish I'd spent more time at work, right? I wish I'd spent more time at the office. It's the other way around. Anyway, you can hear him. Crying out, God, I don't want them. They're, they've got these full bellies. Ah, and then he reminds himself, verse 15, I'll be satisfied when I'm, when I'm there, when I'm with the Lord. Chapter 18, Psalm 18. This is when he's been uh, protected and saved from Saul, okay, in the hand of his enemies. So this is the opposite. This is not a cry for help. This is a cry of victory, a cry of, of thankfulness to God. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. He gives God credit for everything, you know. As before, he's like, God, don't forget. I'm the apple of your eye. Don't forget to look down on me. Watch out for enemies. I feel like they're going to kill me. Get me underneath your wing. This is him afterwards. God, you've done everything I've asked. And you've answered all my prayers. Thank you. The pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. And my cry came before him, even to his ears. David is... Uh, running from Saul. He's out in the wilderness. If you don't know the story, if you haven't read it yourself, he's running because he is currently king. Well, going to be king. Saul is just angry that he's going to be king because Saul is currently the king, but David's been anointed. So he's just chasing this 
wonderful general he's had. David's been his general, Saul's general for who knows how long, and just mad at him and chased, you got to kill this David guy. He's a threat to my throne. And David's running around all over the place. He's got some guys that are becoming a part of his team. Um, his mighty men of valor, they're getting, uh, they're starting to join to him and, and figure out what it means to rely on the Lord. And But cave after cave, night after night, just being on the other side of the mountain of this guy who just wants to do nothing but kill you, it's stressful. War is stressful. Doesn't matter how much you know the Lord or how close you are, there's just a lot of stress involved when everybody wants to kill you, literally, not just like we read in Psalm 17 in your court with some guys, governors and things like that that are plotting against you. These guys have spears and arrows. And if they see you, I mean, they have kill-on-sight orders. And so David says, I was just crying out. I just felt a shield. I felt like I was one foot in the grave. I was a a moment away. But you heard me. And so here's what God does for him. David begins to describe a storm that God brought. God is supernatural. We call him that, supernatural God, supernatural events. That's because they're supernatural he naturally takes, oftentimes we think we're looking for something that's, um, I mean, he does un, unusual things at crossing of the Red Sea and, and, and things like that. And, um, but a lot of times it's just a, a normal everyday thing that intervenes and protects you from whatever. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lightning bolt from the sky, although this is, this is similar. They're just running from Saul and all of a sudden this storm comes and absolutely pummels them. Pummel Saul. Then the earth shook and trembled after I cried out, and you heard me, God, David says. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. God was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens or bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the sky. It was a terrible storm. And from the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven and the uh, the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen and foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He's describing a lot of things that happened in Egypt and what happened with Moses also, but I I think this is literally what took place when he was running from Saul. God brought in a incredible storm and sent arrows from heaven, hailstones, and wiped these people out, or at least put them on pause for a long time. What a wonderful thing. But he gives God credit for that. Regardless of the story, regardless of the, of, the, of the storm or what he's describing here, David gives credit to God for the deliverance. I think when I ask God to help me and to take care of things for me, and all of a sudden things just work out, I need to stop and say, thank you for letting things just work out. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't for naught. My prayer wasn't me panicking and it was never going to be that way. No, my prayer was genuine and you really responded and naturally took care of these things. And I'm so thankful for that, God, and to stop and give him credit. Verse 16, he sent from above 
He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into the broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Now we're going to go into a few verses here that's going to almost describe like God blesses those who are obedient to him or who are doing good works. And he doesn't bless those who aren't doing good works, but that's not what he's getting at. David, just remember verse 19. He brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. God does take pleasure in children that are obedient to him. There is no way around that. As much as we want to think that God loves the sinner, as much as he loves the obedient child at home, it's true he loves them, but there's a blessing associated with God's obedience. There just is. David isn't using other men out there from Israel who are kind of half-hearted with the Lord. He's looking for David whose heart is completely his, and he's looking the same today. He's not changed. He's not changed. Verse 20, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. I try to do the right thing. I'm trying to be obedient to God. I love him. I worship him. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. A word search, just a... If you ever get bored and you want to do a word search, go to almost Gateway Bible is a great one to do a word search on. I like that. It's a wonderful source, very clean and pure, and you don't get a whole bunch of gibberish with it, not a lot of ads. But do a word search of reward in the New Testament. Well, actually, throughout the Bible, through the whole Bible, something like 187 times or whatever, and it's, most of them are talking about God's reward for those who are obedient to him. He's making it a point in his word to say, look, there is, uh, I don't want you to think that being obedient to me is worthless and that those who are disobedient get the same reward. It's not. There is a difference. There's a reward waiting for those that do the right thing, that are working righteousness, that are walking in the ways of the Lord. There's a blessing associated with that. And all David does is he just says it out loud. Most of us would be uncomfortable saying that, you know, today. I don't know where we get it from. It's something we have to get over. He is saying the Lord rewarded me. He's, he's pleased with me being obedient to him. He, he likes my clean hands. He likes that I'm not coming to church every single Sunday as a wicked sinner who did horrible things all week long. I'm a horrible sinner who did horrible things this week. Can I not be here? Of course you can. But next week, let's not be so wicked. That's not a hard concept. We don't come here just to get forgiven so that we can get cleaned up and go wall around in the mud again. He'd prefer us stay out of the puddle. It's very simple. He didn't just save us. That's, that's the, the gospel is a beautiful message of salvation from our sins, not to sin, from them, relieved of the guilt and burden. Now I'm filling you with the Holy Spirit so you can walk the way you really want to walk over here in obedience to me. He desires that for all of us. 
That's part of the gospel. I'm freeing you from sin, not only the penalty, but from having to obey it. Now you can walk in the newness of life and you can walk in the spirit, whereas before you weren't able to do that, but now you can. And to constantly be in this puddle over here saying, I can, but I choose not to, it's a little funny, isn't it? To think that way? No, stay out of the mud. Go over here, and that's all David is saying. Now, verse 25, when we finish up here, it's a lot like the Beatitudes of Matthew 5. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. With the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people, but will look down or bring down the haughty looks. For you will delight, or sorry, for you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. He teaches my hand, hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. It's a powerful bow. But God makes me able to do that. God's not a pacifist, if you didn't know that. He's not a pacifist. To be a pacifist, I think, is to be ungodly. I really do. I understand there's conscientious objectors out there, and that's a different story. That's up to you. But to be a pacifist is to say, I hate all war. No, because God is a God of war. He is a God of war. He's a God who stands up for righteousness. He's a God not to let things go. We're to defend the fatherless. We're to defend the widows. We're called to that kind of thing. And David here knows that. When it comes to my enemies of my sheep, he gives me the strength to beat up the wolves. When it comes to the enemies of my people Israel, he gives me the strength and the skill to take out the Philistines who are against him and against his people. God is a God of war. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've also given me a shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. I circled that one. I want my path really wide. And the older I get, the wider I want my path. I've discovered that. When I try to hop over the fence at the farm, farm alert story. I'm not as nimble as I used to be. And these wonderful cowboy boots have a little longer toe than my tennis shoes. So as I flip that leg over, if I don't get that leg up high enough, that toe catches and I'm on my back. Now the family doesn't see that. I don't let them see that. I hop up really quick and I like my, I like my paths wide. I like gates. I like to walk through gates. Hop in the fence, it hurts, you know? I'm not as nimble. David describes his path that God allows him to walk on, and it's wide. I know that it's a narrow path to salvation. And I don't know how to think this through exactly or exactly how to, I don't want to teach it. I don't want to take it out of context, really. But the path is so wide for David, he doesn't feel like he's in any danger of falling off of it. I guess that's all I have to say about it. My walk with the Lord is so stable and so wide 
or I become so small that the paths become wide. I don't know how to describe it, but I'm not worried about it. You made my path wide so my feet did not slip. I wasn't walking a fine line, you know. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back again until they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. You have armed me with the strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You've also given me the necks of my enemy. That's when you stand on their neck kind of thing. So that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save. Even to the Lord. Even heard him cry out to the Lord a couple times. (laughs) But he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets. This is a song that they sing. You know, we don't have songs like that anymore. Oh, we crush people like dirt and throw them in, you know, what What circumstance do you, David just, he's so honest. His heart is truly, really close to God's, you know, you've delivered me from the strivings of people. You have made me the head of the nations, all nations, not just Israel. It's like everybody kind of is worried about me. Everybody gives me that funny look. They're not so sure about David over there. You have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened and come frightened from their hideouts. They hear about David's coming. Surrender. Just surrender. They just walk out. Marine Corps reference. Ready? That was one of the craziest things about the Gulf War. They wanted to give up. Those poor Iraqi guys, they all wanted to give up. We would, not we, our government, flew over and, and dropped leaflets over them, and, and they were like tickets that said, just surrender. It was written in their language and all the other languages and everything. They just knew that they could just, and all you have to do is play down your arms and walk towards your enemy, and, and we'll give you refuge, we'll give you food, we'll give you all that stuff. Typical propaganda, but we really did it. We didn't put them in concentration camps or anything like that. We actually fed them, and they're just like, oh. And then there was that Republican guard. They were like the only ones that wanted to fight, kind of. And they had their guns at the backs of the guys so that the Iraqi guys could not run home. They had to go to the enemy, or they would get shot on the way back. So everybody come. When we first came in, they were lined up, surrendering, surrendering. And they'd say, we have more friends, but they don't have a ticket. And our guys were like, we don't need tickets. Bring them. Bring all your buddies. And they just started dropping arms and just started walking towards us. It was like one of the craziest victories ever, you know. That's what it reminds me of when David read that. He goes, they hear I'm coming, and they surrender. You know, they're all talking. I've got to get this guy. Who, who are we fighting? David. Not going to do it. They're frightened, and they come from their hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. I think that's important. That verse 50 is very important. Not only does David understand he's king, but he's he's been anointed to be king. That's a word we don't use very often anymore in Christianity. Like that worship singer is anointed. You know, 
or that Sunday school teacher is anointed. What we're talking about is anointing of the Holy Spirit upon their lives in such a way that that's not normal. That's an exceptional Sunday school student or teacher. That's an exceptional worship leader, you know. And David says, I understand that and that God has anointed me from his youth. Remember, he was still watching sheep when he got anointed to be the king. But God shows mercy to his anointed. You're anointed. God has called us all kings and priests. He says so several times in the New Testament. As a believer, as a born-again believer, you're called kings and priests. May not feel like it. May not have a thousand wives. That's a good thing. You may not have a palace. But you're anointed to be kings and priests in this world. And he gives mercy to us for that. And that's where we close today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for David's heart, the prayer, the cry for help, and then the praise, the deliverance that you gave him. We pray for that deliverance. We ask for that like David does. We know that we're called. We know that we want to be people after your own heart. We desire to be obedient, to walk in your ways. We just ask that you'd hide us under the shepherd, underneath your wings. That We'd be the focus, Lord, of your eyes when you look at us, that you'd see us, Lord that you wouldn't look past us or overlook us, but you'd see us, God, in our current situation. Every single one of us, we know the universe is big. We know that you've got a lot going on. And yet David understood that you are also so detail-oriented. You can see our lives. You can see the number of hairs on our head, and you're concerned. You have concern for us. So we cry out to you, knowing that you're our God, that we're your people, and we ask that you watch out for us and protect us from our enemies, God, wherever they come from. Physical, spiritual, worldly. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you though also, that we wouldn't be easily ensnared or entangled with the things of this world or letting our thoughts wander into, well, things that just don't matter eternally, God. Help us to stay focused on you and our walk and our purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.